Hey everyone, with the Kraken having an extra day off, we thought we'd share a rather long portion of our Patreon-exclusive podcast, The Red Glare, where we discuss all the non-Kraken playoff series around the NHL. If you're interested in hearing the full podcast or getting new episodes each week, check out the Patreon link in the description below or go to patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey. And now, on to the sneak peek. But now we can get into the playoffs, RJ. I guess we, you know, not gonna be talking about the Kraken series, so we got to talk about the other Western Conference series, RJ, because we got you know West is best, East is least. That's why it rhymes that way. Vegas Edmonton. <laughs> one game has been played so far. It's it's so far. It's been the Golden Knights versus Leon Drysital, RJ. Um, time to panic if you're Edmonton. Connor McDavid didn't score. What's what's wrong? Well, I mean, it, there's definitely rumors that he's not playing at 100%. You saw the video, the practice video, of course, where it looked like that leg. He's, he was kind of, you know, flexed it out like it's it's not uh, at full strength there. And I think maybe you are seeing some of the effects of it. I think, yeah, it's definitely panic time if you're Edmonton. Um, I mean, they were lucky that, that it was, you know, only a two-goal difference in this game. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, best playoff player ever. I think you can certainly make the argument. We brought up the stat last time on Red Glare uh, that he raises his game in the playoffs yeah. more than anybody in NHL history. And the numbers have only gotten just more ridiculous after that game. Um, so yeah, four goals from him pretty much single-handedly leading the team to being anywhere close in that game. I, I think Vegas outplayed the Oilers thoroughly. I mean, it, it wasn't as close as the score would indicate. Um, but Dreisaitl just kind of did his thing. Yeah, if, if I'm Edmonton, I'm worried about even winning a game in this series. Like, just not enough is going right for you. You're not defending well at all. You're letting Vegas players just kind of stand in front of the net, get tips, deflections, rebounds, all of that. Stuart Skinner isn't playing well. I mean, he really hasn't all playoffs. Like, mm -hmm. he's looked just as shaky as he has all playoffs. And you clearly don't trust Jack Campbell behind him. I mean, if, if you're going to have bad goaltending, you're not going to win this series. Like, I, I think it's looking like Vegas in five. I mean, it could be a really short series. I don't understand the goaltending situation for Edmonton at all because Jack Campbell came in and played one game and had like 2.4 goals saved above expected in half a game or whatever. And they just in 51 minutes and they refused to put him back in. And I keep hearing from all the, all these people that Stuart Skinner isn't the problem here. But I'm like, at some point when your goalie's got a 3.68 goals against average in the playoffs and his save percentage is 8.83, I think the goaltending might be a problem. Like, at what, how large does the sample size need to get before people admit that, you know, he might be a little shaky here in his first postseason? Uh, I think that that's totally valid. I think I'm with you. Neither goaltender is going to get much help from this, this um, Edmonton defense. That's standard. We knew that. That's Edmonton. That's always going to be the case. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think Edmonton actually got that outplayed. I think the system of Vegas is good. They were able to attack and transition and take a, take advantage of the poor Edmonton defense. But you know what? Vegas's defense looked really bad to me as well, RJ. They looked really bad defending in front of Brassois. Like, really bad. I mean... I know you could say, oh, it's just Leon Dreisaitl. What are you supposed to do? How about cover him net front or at the side of the net where he's just untouched and able to just pick up a puck? And if he wanted to, RJ, he could have put it on his stick and just loaded it right over Brassois' shoulder uh, like it's a pizza going into a pizza oven. 
Dreisaitl had that much time on some of these goals, okay? I think I think Vegas, if they want to, you know, be serious, like you could get away with this against Edmonton, but Vegas, their blue line looks really weird and wonky to me. It doesn't look like their blue line of regular. Right. I mean, the defending wasn't like fantastic for them. I mean, some of the... <laughs> The uh, I'm looking at the shot chart here and that goal from Dreisaitl from behind the net. Like, what do you, you know, what do you want them to do? But the ones where he was out, you know, kind of right out in front of the net for rebounds and whatnot. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you can do a better job covering him. It's so difficult, um, you know, to to keep track. Because how many of those goals were on the power play? Also, I know at least one was. Oh, don't don't be trying to find excuses for for the Vegas Golden Knights here, RJ. It's okay to just say that their D played bad. Two of them were on the power play, by the way. Okay, two on the power play. So, like, at even strength, I thought it wasn't terrible. I mean, I, that's just, again, my takeaway from, like, watching the game. And especially, like, through the first period where it's, I think, 3-2 Vegas after the first. Like, and Dreisaitl gets that crazy behind, off the back one, you know, at the end of the period. But, like, I thought Vegas could have easily been up 4-1 after that first period. I mean, they they outplayed the Oilers so badly in the first. Uh, I'm looking at things, though. The, the other thing that that worries me about the Vegas blue line is that they weren't involved in the transition at all. Like they weren't the ones moving the puck up. It was a lot of wingers or centermen coming back and, and helping out in the defensive zone to be able to turn things around on Edmonton. And again, when you have a blue line that has an Alex Petrangelo, who's the only uh, Vegas defenseman to pick up a point in this game in which they had five goals um, or six, I should say, uh, I, I think that that's worrisome when you have guys like Petrangelo, you have guys like um, Theodore. I mean, you have people who can move the puck back there and they did not look capable of moving the puck at all. I think that's another problem for Vegas. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of it, they didn't really need to like the, uh, yeah, they didn't, you know, kind of end up with points on that, but they were beating the Oilers in transition. You look at a lot of those goals, those rough rush transition rushes. And yeah, just because they're off of Oilers turnovers usually doesn't mean that, you know, that, that the defense can't move the puck. I mean, I think, I think we did, you know, see this game a little differently. Like I'm, and maybe I'm focusing more early in the game. You're focusing later in the game too. Cause I did, I did have a hockey game of my own. So I had to stop watching like early in the third. And so, I mean, maybe we're just talking about different segments of the game here. Um, but no, I'm just saying, I, and, and, I yeah. saw a lot of like the, the plays that I would mark as like good plays defensively for Vegas and plays in which fed the transition going back the other way, which the Oilers have zero answer for and they're not going to have an answer. They were all stuff like Mark Stone coming back and taking a puck away or Riley Smith or somebody from the forward group coming back and making a play and then the Vegas Golden Knights being able to go to town. And usually you can see guys like an Alec Martinez get in there and do something like that. And instead, I just didn't even notice him. And I think that that's something that, you know, is a, is a potential problem for them. Again, it's not going to be a problem against the Oilers, but it's one of those things that this is why I, okay, well, I don't feel like Vegas right, well, there is the we same go, yeah. level of thing. Okay, I think it could be a ten- potential problem for them, just not against the Oilers. So yeah, I mean, hey, that's we're, all we're I started off there. saying. I just said okay, that Vegas's blue okay. line I was we really bad. About I, this series. No, it's just all okay. I started was saying was that their their blue line was really bad, and that's worrisome. I I think that that's you know it's it's going to be worrisome past this series. I just think at some point you need guys you know to step up. And look, I know Petrangelo is hurt. I think that's kind of been like an open secret. I think Shea Theodore is probably hurt just because it's Shea Theodore and he's always hurt if he plays more than five games in a row. 
Uh, so I'm sure that that stuff is is in there. But I think at, you know if they're if if this Vegas team was going up against say a Dallas or some of these teams in the East like a Carolina, like they'd get destroyed uh, if they're having to rely on their wingers coming back to force the puck out of their own zone. And I think that that's something they, you know, just to watch in this series because at some point it is possible that McDavid figures that out and is able to exploit it for the time on ice he's out there. So for at least 25 minutes a night, RJ Vegas might have a problem. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, McDavid just hasn't looked entirely on to me. I, I think he is hurt. So we'll see if he's able to kind of get back to something. He just doesn't have that same kind of game breaking speed that we're used to. Yeah. And, um, and you know, Brassois, I've, I haven't been sold on him either. Uh, that's the other thing with Vegas. If the blue line's going to be, he hasn't bad, looked great. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. I think that that's still a problem for them again. Skinner looks worse. The Edmonton blue line looks worse. So these are not like problems for this series, but I'm not seeing this juggernaut Vegas team or even the Vegas team from the regular season so far in this postseason. Like they struggled against Winnipeg and the forwards kind of had to bail them out in that series. And they're struggling again here against Edmonton and the forwards are going to bail them out. And it works because you're playing Winnipeg and you're playing Edmonton. But at some point, I don't know that the forwards bailing you out is going to be enough anymore. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see who their opponents are going down the road. Yeah, I guess you kind of captured my feelings where it's just like, yeah, Vegas isn't playing their 100% best game, but the Oilers are just such a flawed team, it doesn't matter. Right, yeah. Uh, and there's not, I mean, I don't even know that there's anything I could say for Edmonton to change it. Like, just don't have uh, Ken Holland build this roster over the last four years. That's That's how you fix this. <laughs> Right. I mean, defend better. I mean, like, here's the thing. I feel like Jay Woodcroft with the Oilers has just kind of embraced the the whole chaos hockey of like, yeah, we're going to yeah. win or lose every game six to four. Yeah. And I mean, with, with that roster, like you could make an argument that that kind of suits you best just because you have guys who can be game breakers. But I, I do wonder what it would look like if you're, you know, kind of trying to win games more, you know, three, two rather than than six to five or whatever it is. Um because they, they're just not defending the net front. They're not making it difficult at all, you know, for their opponents. And I mean, like it's against the Kings when you can just kind of control the puck and, and own the puck for long stretches of the game. And then they just have to beat you in those few transition moments. It can kind of work. But against Vegas, you're, you're not going to be able to just hold the puck all period. Like they're, they're going to get their share of possession and they can beat you. It's just not going to work against better teams. What's crazy is this is a roster that could do so well with a structured system. Like, like the answer yeah. is really this, like this is, this is what I would do. If I, if I'm the coach of the Oilers, this is how you beat Vegas in this series. And I think you could beat Vegas. If you did all of this, you have, you have dry with McDavid. You keep that line together. Uh, you let dry do whatever he wants in the offensive zone. McDavid hangs back in the offensive zone to help defend against the transition. If McDavid's hanging back, Vegas can't do what they want to do. That's so that takes care of whenever McDavid's out there, you're fine there. Vegas isn't going to get a transition against you with McDavid there. They're just going to have to work through the neutral zone, which we know from Kraken games, Vegas can't do for whatever reason. They just have this mental block of being able to do that. I don't know why they have the personnel for it, but they can't. Um, the other thing I do is I'm I'm like triple shifting Matthias Alcombe 
having him defend the blue line super super strong and and then i repeat this all the way down the down the roster you've got ryan nugent hopkins i know he's been a, a power play beast this year but he can also defend really well when nugent hopkins's line is out there he stays back in the offensive zone he's there to help back with transition he can do it he can be a distributor from up top he's perfectly capable of doing that so there you go you've got your two top lines you've got an ability to do that oh by the way you need a third line to do that nick bukestad can do that a thousand percent but you just need them to play with structure if you have them play with structure where you say we're not going to let vegas kill us in transition we're going to let guys like a vander kane leon dreisaitl zach hyman on the wing be our offense and all all of you centermen who are all very good centers and can and can handle this responsibility you're going to hang back and you're going to help out the d and you're going to make sure that there's always three people back for this edmonton oilers team you're fine this series is, is completely different, and I think Edmonton could probably win it because I, I, I think the Edmonton wingers can, can handle the Vegas blue line right now given the way that they're playing so shakily. Um, but it would take that. It would take saying McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, Bukestad, you guys are playing back, and they're just not going to do that. But if they did, RJ, they're winning the series. Yeah, you look up and down the roster. They have the depth now. This is not like previous Oilers teams where you're looking at a whole bunch of scrubs aside from McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, you know, down the line, if you have guys who can kind of make sure that that nothing bad happens, you know, while, while you're waiting to get the stars back out there. But they just Woodcroft seems unwilling to do it. That's kind of to my point, what I was getting at yeah. with, um, you know, he just seems to kind of embrace the chaos hockey. And I just I don't think that's going to work out for him. I know they were able to to live off of it last year in the playoffs and get to the third round. But like, I think that's kind of an anomaly. And you had McDavid playing just absolutely out of his mind like that you just don't have this year. I, I wonder, too, like if they, you know, kind of bow out early in this round, if you have an early exit, like, say, losing five to Vegas, like, do they reconsider that at all? Do that? I I don't know. I don't know. I think they seem pretty committed to Woodcroft for whatever reason. I'm with you. I've never, I didn't understand. Like I understood him coming in the one year after McClellan, but I, I don't understand yeah. this, this overall commitment that they've had with him this year in the NHL proved one thing above anything else. And that is the teams that have solid structures, the coaches who are coaching these teams who have solid structures for how the team is going to play, regardless of what personnel they have available to them are all succeeding you look at boston solid structure guys up and down the lineup they all know what their job is somebody goes down next man up they can fill that spot nothing changes for the team you look at um you know vegas same exact situation you look at dallas same exact situation these are all even the kraken right like everybody knows what they're mm -hmm. doing on this team and if you have to go up from the fourth line to the second line it's the same job that you're doing and, and I think that that's a big, big deal. It allows people to come up from the AHL and fill those roles. And so this year, the, the big takeaway I had looking at the teams at the top of, of the standings, uh, even teams like a New Jersey, it's all about uh, they have, they're committed to a certain style of play. And not just are they committed to something like chaos hockey like Edmonton. They're committed to a certain structure of this is how we forecheck. This is how we transition through the neutral zone. This is how we defend. And the teams that have done that are successful. And the teams that didn't this year are the ones that really struggled either in the regular season or they really struggled come playoff time. And we saw them kind of fall apart uh, like a Colorado who just 
didn't have the personnel to have a structure and get anything done uh, and they struggled or a Minnesota where they didn't really have a structure offensively and they struggled or, um, you know, even a, a Rangers that kind of lost their system and lost everything. And then they just couldn't score at all in the postseason. And so why a team like Edmonton or really any of the teams around the NHL aren't committed to finding a coach that's going to in install a system and structure I think that's the number one thing any team with a vacancy this offseason needs to be looking for. Yeah, no, I, I well said there. I mean, you, you look at Jay Woodcroft. It's interesting, too, because he was the first, I think, like video coach who ended up becoming a, a head coach in the NHL. And like I, with that background, you'd think that you kind of have more of a structure, maybe that you, you'd have ways that you want a team to play. Like, I know it's not, he's not just like, Hey guys, just go out and play or whatever. But I, I think he's just kind of made this value judgment about what, you know, what he has and, and <laughs> uh, that, that maybe, Hey, like chaos, like this is the way to go. We can play this way and nobody else really can even get by playing this way. So maybe we should, mm -hmm. but yeah, it just seems to be not working. Yep. RJ, right now, I guess all their ears were burning because I'm getting a call from Scam Likely. So which NHL team do you think that is trying to bring me in to, to consult with them finding a coach? Obviously the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're just trying to get you. I mean, you just gave the entire blueprint for how the Oilers can win this series. Yes. If they do, if they do all this, this is how the Oilers can win the series. That's Ken Holland on the phone, Dylan. I would advise maybe don't pick up. <laughs> That's why it's a scam likely. It's, it's, yeah. It's Ken Holland. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. It's, it's there. This roster is better than any of the other ones that Edmonton has had. And yet it just on ice looks worse. And that's crazy to me. But it's it's their own fault. I I don't know. It's their own fault. Whatever they committed to Cody Cece. I said that would be a bad idea. I've never <laughs> I've never faltered from from blaming it all on Cody Cece, and I never will. Um, the Eastern Conference, RJ. I just you know kind of talked about it. Let's start with the Carolina New Jersey series because you know it's all red, and my phone was lit up red for the scam likely. So. That's that's my reasoning for this. Um, I it's really just because I want to talk about the Rangers for one second. What the hell, guys? What the hell? Come on! I was on I was on board with you guys opening night. I said you're gonna win the Stanley Cup. Pick you in my bracket to go to the Cup final. And then what? You just forgot to play hockey. You forgot that Panarin and Zabinajad had over 90 points in the regular season, but they couldn't do anything in the postseason. You let a guy named after a Dragon Ball Z character just stonewall <laughs> you in net? RJ, oh, you're yes. a Gerard Gallant guy. You always said he comes through in the postseason because he bugs those refs for power plays and whatever, and you always said that he's a good coach. I've had reservations. So what happened? What happened to your boy? He was able to bug the refs for power play. They just need to score on the power plays. Like He can't, he can't make that happen. Um, yeah, the, the, the players have to step up and do that. And yeah, I mean, the, the Rangers in a lot of ways kind of got goalie in this series, but you, you, they just have so much offensive fire, firepower that, that they should have been immune to that. And I, I, I just don't know what happened as they like after the first two games, like, do they get complacent? I mean, you would have expected it to be over in six if they just, you know, completely lost it and got complacent. I felt like they'd kind of got back to their game at least a little bit, um, but no, apparently not, you know, forcing a game seven, but apparently not as they get shut out there. 
I don't know. I, I, it's a shame because I, I didn't have the chance to watch a ton of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that was kind of always the one that I had to like either put on another game or be doing something else. So like, I want to go back and kind of watch more of it, you know, in the off season when I actually have some more time and kind of dissect what exactly happened there. It was structure, RJ. It was a system and it was structure. <laughs> um, look, the Devils knew that they probably didn't have the blue line to compete against this Rangers forward group, right? And that's true. They didn't. I, I like the Devils blue line. I think it's going to get better in the you know coming years. They got a lot of great prospects coming through the pipeline. But they, they did what they had to do, which was, okay, look, we're not going to be able to slow them down. They're going to get a ton of shots off all we have to do is just keep sight lines open for our goaltender and let him deal with it and credit the defense. They did Schmid never had to make lateral movements. He never had to go across crease to make a save. They just clogged up passing lanes and they said, shooter, go shoot, try to snipe it past our goalie, pick a corner. If you can, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that was exactly how they had to play this credit to Lindy Ruff. I was, I was, you know, a little uh, worried about him going into the postseason, given you know doesn't historically have a lot of postseason success, and I don't know that this is the answer for a long postseason run, but it was the answer to get out of that first round series against a team that had a ton of firepower up front, which was just make sure your goalie can see it, make sure they can't do anything special, they can't use the playmaking abilities that they have, and. And we'll take that away from them. And I think that's why you saw the the specific Rangers that really struggled in this series were the guys that rely on playmaking to make it happen, whether it's one-time shots or them setting up other guys in spectacular fashion. But you look at a Panarin who only had two assists in all seven games, right? He's a fantastic playmaker from the wing, just wasn't allowed to make plays. Uh, you look at Zbinijad, fantastic playmaker, loves to work with like tic-tac-toe type goals. That's what I always think about with Mika Zbinijad. Wasn't able to do that in this series. Patrick Kane, largely unable to do that in this series. Tarasenko likes to get open, sneak behind a defense. They just weren't letting him. And so they took away all that stuff. The one guy who is just a, you know what, I'm just going to you know, shove it down your throats. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go yeah. at the net hard. Chris Kreider, six goals in seven games because they were letting him. You know what I mean? New Jersey was just like, here's an open lane to our goaltender. Take it. That's fine. We're just not going to let you beat us any other way. And Chris Kreider was the only Ranger kind of capable of playing that style of game and going at it. And I think that's really what the Rangers undoing was. Yeah. I mean, you look up and down the roster and you see kind of only one real like straight line, take it to the net type of guy, you know, in the top six who can do that. Um, And it's interesting because like, this is something that maybe could have been addressed at the trade deadline if you go a different way. Yeah. And and that's where I think everyone's going to be looking back at because the Rangers really went for it and loaded up yep. the deadline with Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. And in hindsight, you could be like, okay, was that, you know, is that kind of too redundant given the roster that you have? Or should you be looking to add kind of a different element, something more difficult to play against? Are you making the mistakes of like a Tampa Bay Lightning before they realized they needed to kind of bring in guys like a, a Blake Coleman, a Barkley Goodrow, you know, all, all along there? I don't know. I mean, we, I, I believe we kind of praised the Rangers moves at the deadline. Do you remember exactly what we were saying? I think, we, I think we were in favor of it. I was in favor of it. I won't speak for you. Um, but I, I thought it was a good idea, and I still think it was a good idea. I think you know they needed to do more to force the Devils out of that, and they just didn't. 
they just played into what the Devils wanted to have happen after those first two games, and they never found a way of dealing with it. And the bottom line is, I get it. Panarin likes to distribute. Zabinijad likes to be a playmaker. Tarasenko, Kane. Doesn't matter. They should have been able to adjust. Gallant should have been able to go to them and say, just take shots. You guys can also snipe it. Like, you all have good shots. Just go score a goal and, and force New Jersey to try something else. And they just never did. They just never made an adjustment. Through seven games, they never seemed to adjust to it. And I think ultimately that's the problem rather than the personnel that they brought in. Yeah, no, I, I think you got a good argument there. Like, I can't I can't really defend Galat after this series, you know, like for this series anyway. Yeah. I think he's done good things in the past. But like, yeah, I, he. It, it seems like he just kind of didn't adjust. And I mean, like, I think maybe he was too preoccupied too with making sure his team's kind of got the physical edge in the series and making sure you're not pushed around and all that stuff and maybe feel like you could push the devils around a little bit, um, that you're not really worried enough about generating offense the way you need to. Yeah. Um, but at a certain point, you just kind of have to to wake up. Yeah. And it's nuts, too, because you wasted a fantastic playoff performance from Shesterkin. I mm -hmm. mean, he almost had... it wasn't even like normally you look at a series like this and you can you kind of point to goaltending like, oh, their goaltending kind of fell apart. But that wasn't the case here. No. I mean, he almost had identical numbers to the goaltending on the other side that everyone's praising and saying you got goalied by. 931 save percentage Schmidt had 935 like it's almost the same right goal saved above expected Shesterkin is probably going to lead the playoffs for a while despite being eliminated uh 8.8 through seven games I mean nobody's else is even really close to that right so it's 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 a dramatic failure for for the Rangers no matter how you slice it and, you know, it's kind of nuts because there's already been rumblings about whether or not there might be a coaching change. Like, this series was so bad for them, and I think everybody's kind of pointing to the coaching that there could be a coaching change there, which is, I mean, that I would not have thought that going in. Like, even if you told me they were going to lose in the first round, I would have thought, well, somebody got hurt or Shesterkin fell apart, but it wouldn't have been because the coaching was going to be so bad, everybody was going to be like, you can't bring this guy back again. That's just not what I yeah, would have thought. Gallant, yeah, going in the playoffs this year, like Gallant, if you'd kind of had me rank like which coaches were safest in their jobs, he would have been up near the top, like even, you know, surviving a first round loss. But yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they decide to do. I, I forget what his contract is. Like if they, I mean, you know, they're the Rangers. They've got plenty of money. They don't need to worry about it. But still, um, I, I feel like that might be an overreaction to get rid of him, but there really was nothing else left that you can kind of point to and blame uh you know for for this series except maybe the deadline acquisitions but uh, i still think the coaching thing's a better argument yeah um all right so now to talk about the actual series rj oh the yeah carolina Devils series uh because they're the teams that are still playing um carolina's got this <laughs> they they talk you know look at how the devils we just talked about how the devils kind of got through that it was maybe because of the coaching and not making adjustments um to deal with them Carolina's got a coach that's going to make adjustments all day long. It's a team that plays with a structure that is very malleable uh, and he can change it around so they can have the blue line lead the way they can have their forward group lead the way they can goaltend you. They can do whatever they want to do. Um, they just kind of do everything above average, but maybe nothing spectacularly great. That's kind of the Carolina hurricanes in my opinion. Uh, and, and game one very much, looked like that Carolina just kind of handling this younger more inexperienced team 
Yeah, and their forecheck, especially early, was all over the Devils. I mean, that start for Carolina where you, you go up 3 nothing. the Devils only have one shot on goal, um, and, and just the Devils couldn't find a way to get the puck out of their zone, it felt like, and, and the Canes just kept coming in waves. It was kind of that cycle of just defend, clear, defend for the Devils, um, and they just felt completely in control. Um, so, I, I mean, I expect to see a bit of pushback from New Jersey. I don't think it's going to be that dominant all series. Um, but also when, you know, you chase Schmidt, who, you know, did a lot to, to win that series against the Rangers, that's a big dent in his confidence, I would think, although not entirely his fault, just because his team was getting yeah. caved in. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, to see this be a, a you know, longer series than like the, the four or five. It looked like it was going to be after game one. I think you'll see a response from New Jersey, but man, they just look like they could not hang at all in game one. No. And it's, you know, they need to find a way of scoring, getting some of their, their bigger players on the board. I mean, Timo Meyer being hurt certainly doesn't help with that. Um, but Timo Meyer somehow went all seven games in the first round without scoring either RJ, not even a point. Just they can't pick up an assist. Um, it's kind of remarkable that this Devils team was able to advance getting the offensive output from their star players that they did. Uh, big credit to John Marino. I think he was MVP for the, the Devils in round one. Perfect defenseman come playoff time to play a system like that, RJ, where you just give an open lane to the net. John Marino's your guy. Like he's, he's fantastic mm -hmm. with that. Um, so, so good credit to him. And I, I know that sounds sarcastic and bad, but I'm actually like being absolutely serious. Like, the system they needed to run against the Rangers, he was the perfect guy. He's the worst-case scenario now against the Carolina Hurricanes. He's just going to get eaten alive. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I How I, about Nathan Bastion running the offense for New Jersey? They'll score the only goal, former Kraken. Yep, good good for him. But again, if that's... Tell me you, you can't rely on him all series to I'm score all your goals? You, I'm telling you, you can't rely on him all series to score your goals. I think, so, you know, Jack Hughes, this is your time... Heischer's not going to step off offensively because he's too busy being, you know, a defensive god down the middle right now. Uh, so you can't rely on him for the offense. This is Jack Hughes and those guys, you know, Brat. It's it's their time to step up. And uh, if they're not going to step up, the series will be five, well, you know, four or five games, and it will be pretty quick, I think. Yeah, I mean, they definitely need to step up. I mean, the other thing that you know, that worries me for New Jersey. If you're looking on the other side at Carolina is like Sebastian Ajo, this, I, we know how good he is, mm -hmm. but I think he's really poised to make a statement here in this year's yep. playoffs. I think because he's in Carolina, because they've got, you know, all those players, they basically, you know, they're, they contribute as a team. Like you said, like they're not super flashy, you know, any one guy taking over a lot of the time, but they do everything pretty well. Like Sebastian Ajo, I think is, is, going to work to make a name for himself in this year's playoffs and like get more recognition. I think he deserves more recognition, but man, in the Islanders series. And then again, in game one, I mean, he was just, you know, all over everything. Yeah, he really was. It feels like this is the year where Sebastian Ajo wants people to consider him a superstar. You know what I mean? That's what I was getting at. You phrased that a lot better. Than what I was, yeah. Yeah. There you go. It, it very much feels like that is the case. And he's, he's going to make the most of this postseason run to to make that case for himself i think this is a guy who look you know he, he signed the big contract uh in a very flashy way we'll say <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i and i think he he wanted that kind of attention there for for people to know who he is you know he's in a non-traditional hockey market in carolina there um and i think you know during the regular season he put up the 36 goals i think you know he's, he's just he's trying there 
And uh, this postseason run is probably going to be the time, especially if Carolina handles the Devils here, because there's been a lot of eyes on this Devils team. You talk about that Rangers-Devils series. That was the number one most watched playoff round one series, at least in the U.S. Uh, we don't know Canadian numbers. I'm sure Toronto probably had something there. But uh, <laughs> as far as everything goes, and it wasn't particularly close. Like a lot of people were watching that Devils team. They saw what they did against the Rangers. So if Sebastian Ajo can kind of tear them apart, that would be that would be a nice way to get a lot of more casual hockey fans to really know who you are and think of you in that elite company. So uh, Sebastian Ajo, you know that if that is his aim, he is he's picking the right time to do it. Yeah, and I'm looking at the also just this is crazy by expected goals percentage here just forward lines you know the top with with Carolina Aho centering uh, Mackenzie McEachern and Seth Jarvis like you look at who his wingers are too yeah. like he's carrying the mailman and the and the other the other line that he's at with with Jarvis and Stefan Nason oh my gosh like, <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> like this is this is great what he's been able to yep. do in here, and then like with Tara Vinen before he went down, he's with Jarvis and Tara Vinen. But again, these aren't superstars that he's playing with. Yeah. Like he is carrying these lines and making his line mates look really good. Yeah, again, Kraken trade Shane right for him right now, one for one. Let's do it. I I mean I would do it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, it's all right. They're gonna be able to sign him in free agency, and we'll just have all the centers. That's all you need, just centers. Yeah, just centers and Adam Larson. We're going to have 12 lines just consisting of one center each. <laughs> it's, it's the new Dave Haxtell system. <laughs> hey, no other team can roll 12 lines like we can. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, going to the the, the last, uh, the other Eastern Conference playoff series, RJ here, the last playoff series. Boy, I knew the Toronto fans were being ridiculous when they were shouting after they won their series, we want Florida. And I thought they were being ridiculous for a couple reasons. One, I don't think they were respecting Florida and how good Matthew Kachuk by himself is. That's really what it was. They were disrespecting him. And you don't ever disrespect him. That only makes his power greater. Uh, you'd think people would learn that by now. But two, if you're Toronto, Boston is the team that's going to a Game 7 against the second wildcard team. They're the team blowing it. They're the team with blood in the water. They're the one bleeding in the water. You want that team. Also, it will allow you to truly vanquish your playoff demons against the against the Boston Bruins. But instead, Toronto fans got their wish. They got the Florida Panthers. And, uh, you know, that victory of winning in the playoffs, RJ, it's going to be very short-lived because this Florida team is rolling. They are. And um, I know before the playoffs, you were saying, you know, hey, Florida fans, just, you know, enjoy the four playoff games you're going to get. Enjoy the two ones at home that you're going to get. Uh, but this this Panthers team is good um and I I thought they'd give the Bruins a challenge I still pick Boston in six because I'm like well it's it's the best regular season team of all time uh but the Panthers got it done and it was really fun watching the end yep. of of that game seven at Queen Anne Beer Hall too it was a very you know I, I would say pro Florida but probably just anti-Boston crowd yeah everyone was going nuts when the Panthers won that uh won that series I mean it was awesome yeah and I mean I mean, and yes, you say Matthew Kachuk by himself. Matthew Kachuk is amazing. I, I will give you that. 
but I think you're selling the rest of the team short just a little bit. I mean, you first of all, you yeah. forgot your boy Brandon Montour. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. And look, I'll be honest with me, you know, picking Boston to kind of get rid of them. I may have been letting bias from last year get in when I picked the Panthers to win the Stanley Cup final. You did say that team is challenge. dead to me. And yeah. I said that team is dead to me. So I couldn't give them credit. But the bottom line is Brandon Montour is a beast right now. He's playing like a completely different player. Like this is, and I know, I know I'm not alone in this because I happened to be listening to 32 thoughts yesterday and Merrick and Elliot Friedman said the same thing, but this is not the same Brandon Montour that has played in the NHL the last six, seven years. It's a completely different player, but this player is phenomenal. This guy, if he keeps it up all next season, should win a Norris. Like what he is doing is ludicrous. The amount of goals he is scoring RJ here in the postseason is nuts. I don't, I just, like, I don't even know how else to say it, but six goals in nine games now so far. Point per game. He's defending well. He's the answer for anything they need on offense. He, and this team especially, you look at guys like Kachuk who can screen a goalie, Barkov who can then focus on defense and kind of take that off Montour's plate. But Carter Verhage makes a living just finding loose rebounds and living around the net there for loose stuff. Uh, I think Sam Reinhart can, can produce from that spot as well. Eric Stahl can produce that way. Like this team is built to have somebody just take shots from the point and find a way to get the puck to the net. And that's what Brandon Montour is doing right now. And it's making the whole system and structure work for the Florida <laughs> Panthers. Yeah, they've just unleashed Brandon Montour. And I love to see it. I mean, it, the way that he's playing in the offensive zone and basically what he's free to do, I think most teams within their structure, they would not let Brandon Montour do what he wants to no. do here and what he's been doing. But it's all part of the system. Like you take that into account. You're like, hey, you know, Brandon, go do whatever you want in the offensive zone. Go wherever you think you need to be. Be a rover. We'll have somebody cover for you. And you're seeing the positive results of it. And at this Panthers team, I mean, you look at look at the lineup. Like they're just as deep on paper as they were last season when they were one of the top teams in the league. The difference is just they're playing a more playoff type sustainable way. And yeah, it's not going to result in the same, you know, world beating stats during the regular season, but come playoff time, that depth is going to show itself and everyone's going to be playing solid defensively as well. Um, and it's all kind of coming together in the way that I, I thought maybe hoped it would uh, under Paul Maurice. And um, I mean, Let's see. What was that? What else was I going to say? I was going to talk about the depth because I'm just seeing, is there anything we want to get to before Paul Maurice? Because like he's becoming my favorite coach in the league right now. No, because the bottom line is what changed from the Florida Panthers from last year to this year? It's two things. It's Matthew Kachuk coming in for Huberto and it's Paul Maurice coming in to coach this team. That's it. And, yep. and and I would argue Paul Maurice probably, as much as I love Matthew Kachuk, I would want him to win the Hart Trophy even over McDavid because it's boring to just give it to McDavid every year. Um, bottom line is Paul Maurice, I think, arguably made a bigger impact on this team just because of the system yes. he's installed and the um, the overall juice he's just given it with his personality. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, th the whole point of making a coaching change there like yes you could have given you know Andrew Burnett another year but the way that they were playing it was clear that they just weren't going to get far in the playoffs they didn't know how to play in the playoffs and Burnett just seemed unwilling to, to kind of make those changes they were going to try and get by winning those six five games playing chaos hockey looking like we were talking about the Edmonton Oilers looking um, and hey credit credit to the Panthers management for realizing that wasn't going to work and, and Paul Maurice knew the mandate and um, I, he's just been so fun also. 
I mean, whether it's the the pressers afterward with you know Kachuk, a bleeping gamer, yep. um, or you know on the bench, like did you see that in the in early in the series, like where he's got the the five and one <laughs> on his chest? Did you see that? Yes. That is how you work the refs for calls. Forget Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant is dead to me now. Paul Maurice <laughs> is my new best friend. Rangers Stanley Cup next year confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But um, I, I just, I love everything you're seeing from Paul Maurice because he is embodying that spirit of there's no pressure on us. Yep. We're just going to go in and, and play the way that we play and we're going to surprise some people. Like not once has he ever looked bothered or intimidated by the level of their opponent or, nope. or kind of the situation they're in. Like, I, I think we respect it extra too, because we're seeing the Kraken on the other side of the, of the playoff bracket doing a similar thing where, I mean, Dave Haxall certainly has a different style about him, mm -hmm. but like the whole team is like, yeah, there's no pressure on us. There never has been like, we're, you know, everyone picked us to lose. We're just going to go in here and do our thing. Pressure's all on the other side of the ice. And I think Maurice knows that. And, and he is, he's playing it up. Yep, and, you know, I can't help but wonder, RJ, because I remember doing Red Glare last year with the kind of surprise announcement that he was stepping down from the coaching job in Winnipeg, right? And mm -hmm. here's somebody leaving a 500 team, and it was very much like, look, this guy has coached in the NHL from the age of 29, and he was in his mid-50s, and it was just, is he just burned out? Does he just not want to do this anymore? Has it all just been too much? And I think what happened was, one, people in hockey just can't stay away. I'm a, an example of that myself. Oh, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, and two, I think he looked at this Florida spot and he said, all right, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it just without a care in the world. Like, if I come back to do this, I'm just going to do it to have fun and not worry about anything and not care, and I'm just, I'm just going to go with it. No, you know what I mean? Like, this is the kind of guy – he reminds me of somebody who like went through like a midlife crisis and came out the other side, just like loose and free. And you know what I mean? And like, mm -hmm. that's basically what yeah. happened here. He went from having all that pressure of being in the Canadian market, in Winnipeg and all of their, you know, lack of playoff success and all the, all that weight on his shoulders. And he was just like, forget it. I'm retiring to Florida and I'm just going to live happy. And I'm going to, you know, drink my ties on the beach. And that's basically how he's coaching now. He's like a completely different person whole aura around him is different and I've, i'm very happy for him because the bottom line is it looks like he's having fun everybody deserves to look like they have fun uh in their job and that's what he's doing now so congrats to paul maurice and it's totally working the system they're running where they're letting brandon montour who we already talked about but also this year gustav forsling kind of doing the same thing brandon montour is doing on the second pairing helping provide offense from the point just sending pucks on net letting their wingers get to it that's that's part of the system. And then, like I said, having Barkov, Reinhardt, Sam Bennett as a, another center on your team who can play back and work on things defensively to free up your defensemen to be offensively minded. Um, the system works perfectly for this roster. And really, this is the exact system that Edmonton should be playing. Their centers should be playing back. They're still good offensive pieces. They can They can contribute from up high in the offensive zone, just like these guys are. But at the same time, you got a Darnell Nurse, you got a Bouchard, you got all that stuff. Let them work offensively with your wingers and make something happen, but make sure that nothing bad is going to kill you going back the other way. What Florida is doing right now is exactly what Edmonton needs to be doing. 
Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, we, we kind of drew the Florida last season Edmonton parallels, and I think like there's that path forward for the Oilers. I think they'd be wise to take a look at the Florida Panthers. And yes, it may mean a, a step back in the regular season. I think that's what scares away a lot of teams is yep. that you're looking at, oh man, we're not going to, you know, we might not win the division or be like two points short of it like Edmonton was. And, and we might even be kind of fighting for a playoff spot late, like the Panthers. It was a very close run to the end there. They almost didn't make it. Um, but if you do, then then you're playing the right way once you get there. And like, look, let's face it, seeding means nothing in the mm -hmm. Stanley Cup playoffs. Yep. Like this year drove it home, you know, more than it, you know, as much as any other year, certainly maybe more. Um, as long as you're in the top eight, it doesn't matter. It just does not matter. Seeding gets you nothing. So you might as well just play the right way once you get in there. Yep. No, I know. Uh, I have a very important point to make, but first I'm actually taking a picture of Afro. I see you next to me. Okay, I see you pulling your phone out and taking a picture. I have the window open behind me. She's not happy with all the light coming into the room because she is not a morning person. She wants to still be sleeping, and she literally is twisting her ear like sideways on her head so that her ear is providing shade over her eyeball so that she can sleep without the light on her face. And so I had to take a picture. I'll tweet it out later. Um, uh, the thing that I want to talk about with this Florida team, just to just to drive home, you know, the system and structure that they had. RJ, Brandon Montour, 16 regular season goals. Aaron Ekblad, 14 regular season goals. Gustav Forsling, 13 regular season goals. When was the last time you saw defensemen on a team, three of them add up to over 40 goals of offense? I, I can't remember. I mean... I don't know, Paul Coffey by himself I, I could... in the 80s, probably. But like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Like, that's not how teams play in today's NHL. But it's how this roster was constructed. And credit to Paul Maurice for seeing that and for making it work. Um, but that's that right there. I mean, that's that's an incredible stat. I don't know how nobody's talked about that. And three defensemen right. give them 43 goals this year. That's remarkable. Yeah, I haven't heard anybody talk about that, actually. I know. I, I just noticed it. I mean, like, I knew it all year. Like, you watch the Panthers play, you know. Did Eric how, Carlson how steal all the are? defensemen doing offensive things shine with, like, the best offensive season by a defenseman probably since Bobby Orr? Like, is that what it is? I don't know. Wow, that was a healthy amount of Carlson needs the Norris. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you I didn't just, say that. You just like let me just casually mention that it's the best offensive season we've ever seen from a defenseman in like fifty years. Real quicker, okay? Is it not? I don't know. It's it's ludicrously impressive. But, uh, I mean, the Norris, as much as you you could argue that it probably is just voted on, you know based on offensive output, like that that shouldn't equate to Norris. Just that he had the best offensive season, you know, in a long, long yeah. time. Yeah, it I, is. but we were talking about defensemen generating offense, yeah, and yeah. I think that might have stolen yeah. some of the shine from what the Panthers are yeah, doing. Yeah, I, I think it did somewhat. Um, I still think, yeah, just nobody wanted to talk about this Panthers team all regular season is also part of it. I think they were they were so just ignored and slept on because I think they were dead to a lot of people like they were to you. I think yep. everyone felt like they kind of had this this fool's gold team from last year. Oh, and look, they're a whole lot worse in the regular season this year. They're falling off. Last year was an anomaly. I, I think they didn't see what was 
what the whole idea was behind bringing in Paul Maurice. I know a lot of Panthers fans were, I, I remember when the, the Panthers played the Kraken too. And I, I posted that video of Maurice just like, you know, chewing out his players halfway through that game when they weren't giving effort Panthers fans like, Oh man, like he's already lost them. This is bad. You know, they, they were on top of that. I think everyone just kind of felt like, Oh, this, you know, that team last year was fake. You want a quote that could leave this podcast and then be applied to any aspect of life ever, RJ? Sure, why not? There's nothing more dangerous than a middle-aged man with nothing to lose going to Florida. That's what happened with Paul Maurice here. <laughs> You're going to take one thing from this podcast. Let that be it. Yep, that's, there's nothing more dangerous. Um yeah, I, I the the last thing I want to mention with Florida, and and then I guess we can briefly touch on Toronto because I guess they're also involved in all this. <laughs> um, is they're doing all this? I can't imagine how much better this team would also be with Patrick Hornquist, uh, if he was in the lineup. Oh, can you imagine just tipping tipping pucks from those guys, cleaning up stuff net front? Um, I still feel awful about all that. He's been out since December fourth with a concussion. Um, I hope he's able to get healthy and, and maybe come back, but I mean, he deserved to be on this legendary run that this, this Panthers group is, is putting together. So, um, I just, I had to, I had to mention him, RJ, you know, what a big fan of, of horny I am. Yes, I'm, I'm well aware. And, and you know what, like, I, I, I agree with you there. It's a, it's a shame with the concussion and everything that he's, he's had to deal with that. Um, but, uh, and the thing is too, he's still been, I, I'm looking back at the email I got for the, uh, the, like the Masterton trophy ballot thing and the write up on Hornquist. Cause, um, you know, yeah, the Panthers say he will not play again this season, but there he is. Every time the Panthers hit the ice, he's been practicing with them, like basically turning into a coach you know, mid season, he's still been a very big part of the team. I mean, and that's one thing I noticed too, when the Panthers came to town last season, where there was like, I think three guys that stayed like way, way late after practice that were just on the ice um, for longer than even the, with the scratches usually. And it was like, I think it was one of the scratches. It was Joe Thornton, who, you know, just loves the game yep. more than anything else, like legend and Patrick Hornquist. Like those were the last two guys out on the ice for the Panthers. The scratches had already left the ice. The rookies had already left the ice. It was Joe Thornton and Patrick Hornfist, the last ones out there. Yeah. Like it, just love of the game is absolutely there. I feel bad for him that he can't be playing along with this group because you know he'd be making a big impact too. Mm -hmm. Like he plays playoff style hockey. Yeah. No, Patrick Hornquist, as like becoming a coach wouldn't surprise me. I think becoming a head coach would surprise me. I don't know that he's that kind of guy, but as like a skills coach, He'd be incredible. Oh, yeah. He'd be incredible. Yeah, would, sign me up. <laughs> I would totally want him as part of my organization or um, just as a, a floating coach during practices, just pointing things out, teaching guys things. Like, he'd be so perfect for that. Um, yeah, so uh, just, again, just wanted to mention him because he hasn't been playing with this team for a while, but, boy, does he deserve to be. Um, Toronto, RJ. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Well said. <laughs> I think I think yeah, captured it perfectly. Um, I think yeah, they're they're not playing against kind of a, a tired and worn out Tampa team. You're playing against a Florida team with a lot more energy, and I think they're just struggling to break through. Um, you know, their top guys are having difficulty. I think you know you, you look at um, a moment that sticks out to me from the last game too is Austin Matthews taking that penalty with like one second to go. 
you know, in the second yeah. period there. Um, just things like that that are frustrating to to like deal with a Matthew Kachuk coming in. Like th- this Panthers team doesn't go away, and you've still got to find a way mentally to deal with that. I think the Leafs, even though they did slay the first round demon, they got past Tampa. The pressure is still all on them, and you can see it in the way that they play. Um, I-, I think losing Matthew Nyes last game was really difficult. Um, yes. You know, I think he we we talked about the boost that he gave them, the youth, the energy that bringing in a new player, you know, what that'll mm-hmm. do for you. And I, I thought he's played pretty well too. But losing him, especially in the fashion when you lose him with that kind of you know dirty behind the play stuff that I think I got the email for recently that resulted in a fine. Um, because that's you know where we're at Yay, with the Department, the Department of Player, of player safety, safety here. They they have a job to do, and they once in a while choose to do it. Yeah, so Matthew Nice is now totally fine because of because of the fine. Um, so good on them. But anyway, like I think that hurts. But that's not the only reason you're down two nothing in the series. I just think mm-hmm. you know a lot of kind of demoralizing stuff for them. Sam, I think Ilya Samsonov, this is a big problem. Like this is my number one cause for you if I'm Toronto, because he's clearly fighting an injury. He is playing through something where he's not at a hundred percent. And I mean, when your goalie is noticeably fighting through an injury, it's really tough to succeed in the playoffs. Like the other team knows that they're going to pepper him with shots. They're going to bump him a little bit. Um, And and there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, is, is Matt Murray healthy? Is he ready to go? I, I have no idea. I would think that we even if he is if to he throw was. him into this spot. Like, I know it's a it's a. Do you want to do spot. that? I don't know. The bottom line though is that their blue line in front of whatever goaltender they have looks awful in this series. They have no answer to deal with, you know, Kachuk or really any of the wingers and what they're doing in this. Like they just they don't have an answer at all. Like the blue line wasn't great to begin with. I think this this series is proving more so that really. Toronto's success in winning that first round series was more so on Tampa being just that beat up, that tired, having played that much hockey, more so than Toronto really finally being there and having the roster that can really do it and they can go and they can slay all the dragons they need to to have all the su- success because this line, this this uh, series is showing all the deficiencies in this roster and the number one deficiency is depth on the blue line. Mm-hmm. And with Toronto, I, I also want to kind of revisit like the, the roster construction, maybe a little bit of the trade deadline stuff, the decision to, you know, yep. use a pick to bring in like a Luke Shen, um, who probably isn't helping you a whole lot, you know, defensively brings that physical aspect. Yep. Um, as much as, again, I like Mark Giordano from his time playing here. Like he's great, classiest guy you can imagine. I think he hasn't looked all that great recently there. I no. think he's, you know, he's just in too big of a, of a role for kind of where he's at in his career right now. This is, I know plus minus isn't all that. All right. I do. I do. I do. But you look at the worst performing players plus minus wise for this, this team, Jake McCabe at minus six and then Giordano and Justin Hall minus seven. All those guys yeah. play a lot yeah. of minutes. They play a lot of minutes for your team. And when this is a roster that, you know, they've got a lot of scoring. They've scored they scored a lot through the first round. You know, this is only two two games against this Florida team that are taken into account there. Um, but I, I just think the depth for their blue line has, has been really, really poor. 
Um, otherwise, I mean, look, they focused on bringing in guys like Ryan O'Reilly. That was absolutely the right call. He's played fantastic yep. for you. The depth on offense is there. Bringing in Matthew Nyes, all that stuff. It's worked. Nolachari coming through for you. <laughs> but the bottom line is TJ Brody looks like a completely different person than he did four years ago in that he went from being one of the most underrated defensemen to he looks like a, a liability. Just full out. Yeah, that's flat out. what he is. Uh, TJ Brody and, and Vlasic RJ, kind of similar careers. It went from being Ooh. like underrated, under talked about. Arguably, these are like top 10 defensemen, but nobody notices it to now just being like, why are they in the NHL? <laughs> mm hmm. Kind of crazy. Well, at least Brody doesn't have. Actually, I don't know what his contract looks like, but I can't imagine it's as bad as Vlasic's going forward. Uh, probably not. Yeah, no, probably not. Um, so that's a problem that the the Leafs are going to have to figure out a way of dealing with. I have no idea how they're going to in the off season, given their cap situation. No idea if if they're going to have their general manager either, RJ. Because uh, you know Kyle Dubas, it kind of felt like his job relied on winning in that first round. They won in the first round, but boy, this looks like it could be a sweep. If Toronto gets swept in the second round, I don't know that his job is that safe. Not to mention, I think his contract's up anyway. He can probably go somewhere else and get a big deal. Uh, but still, I mean, this the the roster all of a sudden doesn't look nearly as good as it did five days ago. Right, and I think if they get swept, if it you know only goes if they lose in five or something like that i think we could just see a mutual parting of ways yeah. uh, with the contract being up i think dubas believes in himself i think he thinks yeah. he can go and find some job that um you know maybe a little bit better of a situation where he's going to have plenty of autonomy and, and kind of build another roster the way he wants to do it um and i think there would be teams out there that potentially be interested in that i mean yep. we've had a lot of regular season success and um you know they got past the first round i think that that helps his case a lot yeah um but but overall, still, you look at the roster and I don't know, you, there, there's some questions about kind of how it was built. The, the O'Reilly trade looks amazing. I mean, like mm -hmm. he is just it feels like he's single handedly just trying to drag this team as far yeah. as it can go. Like he he's like the number one guy that I notice with this Leafs team, just doing a lot of the positive things. And um, especially in games where it's not going well, I, he seems like he has his best games, too, when the rest of the team kind of needs that that little pick me up from him. Um but I just don't think it's going to be enough necessarily. If every if anybody else doesn't show up, it's not going to be enough. No. Um, so I think Dubas is is you know if they don't win the series, I'm sure he's probably gone. Sheldon Keith, I mean, if Dubas is gone, Keith is gone, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would be very surprised if they kept him without Dubas around. It's interesting too because you bring up the O'Reilly trade. You know, obviously this is what O'Reilly does come playoff time. Like this is why we wanted him with the Kraken and everything, right? Um, that sounds like the only. Could time... you imagine though? Because like, look, I know. Look at the deadline. There, there's like, I, I, I stand by Ron Francis's call, like, especially because it would have cost a first round pick and more to get O'Reilly. Yeah. Like, not worth it in the long run. I totally get it. But I think if if you had the full benefit of hindsight and you knew the crack and we're going to get to round two, could you imagine this team with Ryan O'Reilly on it too, solving the faceoff problems, bringing the secondary scoring he's bringing? I mean, I'm. I'm like picking them to go to the conference final and maybe be a favorite at that point. It would be insane. Him on that Wenberg line would be nuts. Oh, cause that's where he would go. It'd be crazy. Yeah. Or, or on, uh, on Maddie's wing, maybe even to take faceoffs for Maddie. Maybe you just move Maddie to the wing uh, on that. Like, Oh my gosh, we could get, we could talk for hours about it. Um, the thing is, it sounds like that was the only trade where Kyle Dubas was able to actually just do what he wanted to do. 
Like, because in Toronto, mm-hmm. he does not have final say. There's a lot of people that, that have input. I think he deserves to go to a place where he can have final say. He can be the decision maker, uh, you know, kind of do the job that he's actually hired to do, which is make the decisions. Um, I, I think he deserves to have that. And I think if he goes to a place... And I was going to bring up the Kraken anyway before we talked to Ryan O'Reilly. If he goes to a place like the Kraken where they're willing to invest in an analytics department and really put the people around him that you know he wants to have around him, I would be fascinated to see what kind of job he actually does. Because I could see him maybe being a guy who could put together a roster that never looks all that great but seems to overperform with what they do. Maybe they never win a Stanley Cup or anything, but I think that he would be that kind of guy who could make all the right acquisitions and depth moves it would just be a matter of if he was ever able to get the right superstars um and so, make the right coaching call exactly because i think he i think he got it wrong this time i agree with that you everybody knows i agree with that so <laughs> uh that'll be a fascinating situation toronto is always going to be toronto it's always going to be a, a weird one um but yeah that's 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 kind of where i'm at with this one where i just think the blue line is not good enough to to get out of this series uh, I mean, this is the one series, RJ, that I'm just like, if you told me it was going to be a sweep, I wouldn't bat an eye. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I could see it going that way. But you know, if the Leafs win game three, I think you're in for a longer series. Like they, it's yeah. it, this one more than anything feels like it just goes on confidence and momentum. And the Panthers have it all right now. Yeah. But if the Leafs can do something to just to take it back, I think they have the talent, certainly, to make it a longer series. Right. <laughs>